With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Thanks for listening to the Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. We bring in Barrett Salee. He is at CBS Sports. And Barrett, I've got a poll question up. I don't know if you just saw it. I'm curious on uh, what your answer to this question would be. Um, Is it fair to connect? Number one story, I think, clearly in sports today is the reaction to the Maryland uh, press conference yesterday surrounding the death of a player, Jordan McNair, died in June after heat stroke suffered during a May 29th workout. And the question is, is it fair to connect the off-field scandals in the past five years at Ohio State, Penn State, Indiana, Maryland, Michigan State, Illinois, Rutgers, and Minnesota, that's eight of the 14 Big Ten schools, and ask if they have a culture problem, or is this just a total coincidence? Uh, Your thoughts on that question. I'm going to kind of dodge it. I think some uh, should be connected. I think others shouldn't. Um, you know, the Jerry Sandusky stuff from Penn State, that, that's awful, but that also was, you know, that actually happened a long, long time ago. Um, the new era of stuff, you know, yeah, I think you can, especially Illinois with Tim Beckman, especially um, with what happened in Indiana with Kevin Wilson. So I think those two things directly correlate to, to what's going on in Maryland with DJ Durkin. I think at Ohio State, um, yeah, there's a little bit of that because I think there's uh, all, all of those issues. I think if you want to connect them all, I think it's uh, the easy way to do that. And I think the right way to do that is a lot of these coaches want to keep everything in house. A lot of these coaches want to keep everybody in a bubble. And I think there's an actual brick and mortar proof of that. And that's the fact that all these teams and programs want to have football only facilities. So everything wants to be kept in house. And I think that is the one way you can sort of correlate all of them, maybe even Penn State as well. But 
I don't know if that's a Big Ten problem. I think that's just a college football thing that's happening, and I think sometimes when, when things go south, I think they go south in a variety of different ways, but a lot of, of the causation for that can be traced back to the fact that really everybody wants to be kept in this football bubble now and, uh, and, and sort of block out the outside world. I, I am uh, generally, um, g- you know, genuinely interested in this uh, because I, one, I think it's a it's a major issue that goes across every uh, every part of college athletics. Um, is is it fair? And, and I don't know what the answer is either. The the Jordan McNair death. I think that there you would probably agree with me. There's a very good chance that DJ Durkin is going to lose his job. My Without general that. thought. Yeah, my general thought here is that what Maryland is doing is unlikely to be that much different than what other major college athletic programs are doing. Is it fair to say if a player dies in a workout, then a head coach should lose his job, period? Not period, uh, because you don't necessarily know the cause for it. I think in this case, yes, uh, because you know when you throw a guy – easily and obviously suffering from, from symptoms of heat stroke. You don't do anything about it. He has a seizure. Uh, you don't really do anything about it for an hour, and the a guy who's had a seizure on this show. In fact, um, I know that you have to give medical attention, especially your first one. So, um, you know, in that case, then yes. But in, in other cases, I mean, look, I mean, people have issues, undetected medical issues. So I think it does sort of depend on what happens on a case-by-case basis. But in this specific instance, yeah, I mean, DJ Durkin, for, for him to essentially run a, a toxic program, and that's, that's I think it's, it's an allegation, but I think it's, it's something that I don't think would shock a lot of people. He needs to lose his job, but, you know, it, I, I can't say that everybody, every coach should because you never know specifically what, what leads up to hypothetically that happening to a player during the workout. Yeah, it's a great question, I think, because in, in this modern era, I think what's going to happen is – Every time an incident like this occurs, the the media can come in and they can write a story and they can find somebody who says, oh yeah, it was a toxic culture. Because there are 85 scholarship athletes, there's sure. lots of additional walk-ons, there's always somebody with a grievance. And so, for instance, in the ESPN story that follows the Maryland death, the Maryland death is a tragedy. Um, I, I think certainly it needs to be examined from a strength and conditioning perspective and find out what happened. Very similar, I think, in many ways to when Corey Stringer died for the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, yeah. It was an all-pro, I think, left tackle. And uh, he just overheated. And people were like, oh, my God, how did this happen? Because they've been doing training camps in the NFL for a long time. And then they recognized, you know what, we need to be more careful. The bodies are getting bigger. I mean, I think a lot of these offensive and defensive linemen are carrying so much weight that what might work for a defensive back or a quarterback in terms of their body fat percentage and where they can push themselves uh, is not going to work necessarily for a big offensive or defensive lineman, particularly if it's hot outside and there are major issues. So uh, let's put Maryland to the side. I know it's the number one story. We talked about that. Let's bring back up to the forefront Ohio State. Based on what we know so far, what should happen to Urban Meyer in your mind? What should happen is that he should be fired. Um, I've said that from the get-go, and I think that still holds true. I think um, the idea that he wouldn't have any clue of, um, of what happened with Zach Smith, I think he's admitted, uh, is false. There's a reason he lied about it. And this idea that he was unprepared for Big Ten media days is an absolute joke. He had 36 hours 
to prepare for this question. He had a private media session before taking the podium on at Big Ten Media Days. He knows there are cameras that are live on him. And if he didn't prepare for that question, he's either A, an idiot, or B, his media relations staff is, because that's something you have to know is coming. Um, so he lied about it, and he lied about it because he thought he could get away with it and, and pass it off like he didn't know, and we come to find out he did. And, Clay, I mean, let me answer that, ask you this question, because I think this is a perfect point. You work for Fox Sports Radio, or you have OutKick. I, I work for CBS and, and SiriusXM. If either one of us had two domestic violence allegations on our record, a DUI on our record, over a course of 10 years, would we be employed? Would our bosses employ us? No, I mean, I think I think I think it's a it's a well said, and I've said it on this show. Look, if I were accused and arrested for domestic violence, and also I were arrested for a DUI in a like two or three year span, which is what the allegations are surrounding Zach Smith at Ohio State, I think there's a zero percent chance that I would be able to right. uh, to do radio. Now, I own Outkick. So I could continue to employ myself there, but right. I don't think there's any way that Fox Sports Radio's standard would be Clay Travis arrested for domestic violence, even if later my wife decided, you know what, I'm not going to press charges, and uh, even if I were arrested for DUI and I later pled it down to a lower standard of, uh, of you know, like uh, it wasn't a DUI because I got good lawyering and I was able to do that. I think there's a 0% chance I would right. be able to keep my job. And my job, let's be honest, is far less significant in terms <laughs> exactly. of my impact on like a college campus or my impact on you know being in, in charge of 18 to 22-year-old uh, young kids turning into adults. Uh, so I, I, think it's, I think it's well said. And I think that's true, by the way, for most people with public-facing jobs. I think it's hard to believe very many of those guys would keep their jobs. Yeah, it's exactly right. And then at the very worst, I mean, let's just say that they found a reason not to fire him. You would at least be suspended for a little while if you were Zach Smith. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest issue. I think anybody that buys an Urban Meyer didn't know about this is uh, has their head in the sand. I think anybody that uh, comes at Brett McMurphy's reporting doesn't understand what who Brett McMurphy is and how good he is at his job. Um, but the truth is the matter, and this is what, what always gets me, no one has explained the text messages, and I know there's context involved, and that's fine. Uh, no one has explained why Urban Meyer would choose to, to, to lie at Big Ten Media Days uh, with a valid excuse. The stuff that he's not prepared is just nonsense. Uh, but I think also at the same time, I think it's clear that Ohio State, because of the six-person you know, investigative committee that includes three people from the Board of Trustees, because of the set time frame, they're going to try to find a way to keep him, and that might include a suspension. Um, that you know might include no suspension. Who knows? But I think it's clear they're going to do whatever they can to try to keep him. And I think that speaks volumes um, on what you know Ohio State values, the value of football uh, over over dignity, and that's a shame. We're talking to Barrett Salee, CBS Sports. All right, so I've asked the question. I'm, I'm curious what your answer to this would be. Ultimately, as you move up in the flowchart of your profession, anywhere you are, there's lots of people listening to us in all 50 states starting off their morning right now. The person who makes the most money wherever you work is ultimately being paid for one thing, I think, his or her judgment, right? The higher up yeah. you move on the flowchart, ultimately everything comes down to judgment. If you're the CEO, it's like, okay, we're going to attack this business opportunity. We're going to pull back on this business opportunity. Ultimately, everything comes down to judgment. What in the world was Urban Meyer thinking from a judgment perspective to keep a guy like Zach Smith around the program when he knew he had been arrested in 2009 for domestic violence, 
when I think there's almost no way to argue he wouldn't have known about this DUI given that it happened at Ohio, given all the different Ohio State connections to this investigation in this case. And also we know that he would have seen photographs of additional domestic violence allegations in 2015. Why in the world would Urban Meyer keep Zach Smith on his staff? Again, he's a wide receivers coach. There are probably hundreds, not probably, there are hundreds of guys Urban Meyer could have hired that would have been every bit as good. Some people will say, oh, because it's Earl Bruce's grandson. If that's the reason, then then Urban Meyer has failed completely. Why do you think he kept him on staff? Well, like we talked about initially, I think that a lot of these coaches want to keep everything in-house. They want to stay within this football bubble. And I think that has, like you said, you know, you can compare some some different scandals. I think that's been the overarching issue here is that, you know, he feels like everything should remain in-house. I think Urban Meyer feels like he's bulletproof. And that's not necessarily a new phenomenon or a new revelation. I think all of us down here, especially you and I in SEC country, thought of that when he was at Florida. That was the reputation he had. So I think that's what um, what ultimately led to this decision. And and for Urban, and I think for any head coach, sometimes you have to look at situations and say, "Hey, look, um, what's the right thing to do?" And here, and Urban Meyer, and Clay, you, you've talked to a bunch of coaches as have I. They all say they block out the outside noise. They all say they do things one day at a time. All that you know, coach speak nonsense. But they're all control freaks. They all know everything that's going on about everything within their organization. And if Urban Meyer didn't know about any of this stuff, you know, for being a control freak, he's sure not much of a control freak. And, and I just don't buy that. Not for an elite head coach, not for a guy who's won a national championship at Ohio State, won a couple, uh, won a couple national championships in Florida. If you're going to be that successful as a head coach, you are a control freak. That is how you, you keep the program going in one direction uh, with everybody on board. And the idea that he wouldn't know about something like this is just, it's just preposterous. It's not how football coaches are really anybody within an organization operates what do you think this investigation is actually going to show us because the reason why I asked that question is and we're talking to Barrett Sully CBS Sports when Baylor did their investigation they had an oral report that was given to the board they never put anything in writing and as a result we didn't actually see what work that investigative committee had done and we still don't really know all of the details surrounding the Art Bryles era at Baylor do you think we'll get a written report here from Ohio State's investigative committee? Do you think we'll get a recommendation, or do you think we'll get a lot of fluff, not much detail, and then, like you said, they find a way to keep Urban Meyer? A lot of fluff, not much detail. I think the one thing that we can sort of take away from that Friday when Zach Smith spoke to ESPN and when Ohio State or Urban Meyer, since they released a statement, is that they're sort of kind of trying to point the finger at Gene Smith, and I think what you'll get in a report if Ohio State you know, releases one, and I think they will, would be something like that to that effect where, you know, kind of everybody admits some kind of fault in some way, shape, or form, and they try to word it and try to pass it off as really not a fireable offense for anybody. And I think if there is somebody who does need to worry about his job, it's probably Gene Smith because, look, if Zach Smith told his superiors about the domestic violence issues and Urban Meyer knew about it and reported it up like he said he did in that letter, then that's on Gene Smith. And so I think probably everybody keeps their job, but I think the report is probably going to try to, you know, downplay a lot of these facts or kind of just point everybody in a circle to try to um, to diminish the liability of, of everybody involved at Ohio State. But here's the thing, Clay, I don't think this is getting talked about enough. Urban Meyer and Zach Smith basically said, oh, yeah, we reported it up the food chain. But both of them basically suggested that they did, 
and then didn't even think about it again. And from an administrative standpoint, sure, that might be your role. That might be your what you're asked to do. And you, you might have actually fulfilled those responsibilities. But ethically, is that the right thing to do? If you're Urban Meyer and you hear about a domestic violence case again from one of your assistants and you just simply tell Gene Smith and move on, is that what a decent, compassionate, normal human being would do in that situation? Because I don't think it is. It's, it's an excellent question. Also, I thought you were going to go in this direction. We're talking to Barris Lee at CBS Sports. Is it really fair for a head coach who makes $7 million a year to, ta- to say, I told my superiors when we all know that Gene Smith works for Urban Meyer, not <laughs> Urban Meyer working for Gene Smith? I mean, I have an issue in general with a head coach who is clearly the most powerful person on a campus saying, oh, I told my boss, and then just immediately shunting it off on him and saying, hey, it's your responsibility now. Ultimately, to me, this should be Urban Meyer's responsibility because it's his program, and he's much bigger than his athletic director. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, and I think that is, that's true of basically every big-time college football program. I mean, Nick Saban technically reports to, to – to Greg Byrne, but not really. I mean, that's that's just how things go. And um, yeah, I think in, in the case of Urban Meyer, I think that's that's definitely something that holds true. That you know, yeah, I mean, technically you have to report at the food chain, and yeah, Gene Smith's the guy who signs his paychecks and all that other stuff. But you know, they both work in conjunction on a lot of different things. Um, some things are more Urban Meyer's responsibility; other things are more Gene Smith's responsibility. That's kind of how a football program works. So this idea that it's this. Um, just cut and dried corporate structure that any other business in America, you know, operates under. That's that's just not how really any college athletic department ever works. Because you've got the guy who's the fundraiser. Sometimes that's the AD. Sometimes that's the you know VP of finance or whatever it is. Sometimes it's the head coach. You know, so um, yeah, I mean it's it's a blurry structure in college athletics just to begin with. And and certainly at the top, if you're a major college football program, you're not going to you know, if you're in my, you're not going to, you know, just say, okay, you're my boss, Gene, you deal with this. That's, that's not how any of this goes down. All right, let's go to the field. Uh, week one college football. Field? Yeah, there is a field. We're two weeks away. We got Michigan uh, going up against Notre Dame. We've got Auburn, Washington. We've got uh, Miami, LSU, uh, Tennessee, West Virginia. There's a lot of these cross-sectional games across conference. Which one is the biggest in the in the, in your mind of all of the Week One contest? Alabama, Louisville, obviously going on as well. Which game is the most important to you? It's I think it's Auburn, Washington, just because I mean Auburn's a team that's national championship caliber. We saw that throughout the most, uh, majority of last season. They won the West. Obviously, they're a really good football team, and Washington is as well. Washington, I think, in terms of, of how complete they are, I think that gets overlooked. They've got four returning offensive linemen. Jake Browning has been there for about a decade. Same with Miles Gaskin at running back. Uh, their defense, they returned four or five guys in that secondary, including Taylor Rapp, who's one of the best safeties in the country. So I think that's huge for Auburn's standpoint because, you know, they lost the last two games in that building, in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But they feel like, and I think they justifiably feel this way, that they're a national championship contender going up against the Washington team that has something to prove just for themselves, but is also sort of bearing the conference flag from the Pac-12 after a miserable bowl season, a year in which they didn't make the college football playoff and didn't really even have a contender, you know, outside of maybe USC, although I think that would be an extreme stretch. So, um, and I think that's the biggest one in terms of the college football playoff and the postseason and the whole landscape of the sport for 2018. I do think Michigan-Notre Dame is interesting, too, 
because the, really because the loser of that game, whether it's it's Michigan or Notre Dame, that coach is going to have some eyeballs looking at him, wondering, okay, you know, when when are we, when is this going to turn around? When when, are, when is this going to be a program that can compete for a national championship? Because you know, here we are on one after the first week of the season. So I think from a you know season long you know coaching standpoint. Notre Dame, Michigan is the biggest one, but in terms of how the landscape of the sport evolves in 2018, I mean Washington Auburn is a top 10, top 12 matchup with two teams that I think are are very good and can prove that they're near elite if if they get a win in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Outstanding stuff as always, Barrett Salee. Appreciate you joining us down in Atlanta. We'll talk to you again soon. CBS Sports, go follow him on Twitter. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. This is Animal Thunderdome. We go out to Los Angeles. Yesterday on the Animal Thunderdome, we had a story of deadly hippos. Hippos killing uh, people in, uh, I believe it was Kenya, if I'm not mistaken. Well, there are hippos in the L.A. Zoo, and a man, I'm not making this up, decided to jump into the hippo enclosure and touch a hippo they are looking for him in los angeles we have live video and audio of this i'm not making this up this really happened in la play it boys and jeff this is really disturbing video what this guy did here at the la zoo as you said he snuck into the habitat and then hit this hippopotamus Video posted to Instagram shows a man crossing into the LA Zoo's hippo enclosure and sneaking up on two hippos. Oh my God. The man's approach is very cautious. Finally close enough, he slaps one of the hippos on the rear, takes a moment to celebrate, and then runs off. Slap the hippos The LAPD confirms they got a report of trespassing at the zoo and are investigating. The zoo says the hippos are Rosie and Mara. You can see the hippo who was slapped does not show much of a reaction, but the other hippo seems a bit startled and looks up as the guy is still in the enclosure. It's not clear if the man knows he's being recorded, but clearly he's showing off. And while hippos at the zoo do have human interaction, this kind of treatment can create an unpredictable situation. Unbelievable. That's CBS LA. How much would you have to be paid to climb into the hippo enclosure and touch a hippo in LA? Smack that ass. He smacked the ass. You guys are all in LA. He smacked the hippo's ass. How much would you have to be paid to slap a, to touch a hippo, to climb into the enclosure? First of all, I can't believe you can even climb into the enclosure like that easily. We are highly educated being part of of the Outkick Army because we paid attention yesterday to those statistics you read. 500 yeah. people a year are killed by hippos in so Africa. So this is obviously a non-Outkick listener. Bad job by him. That's going to take, I'm saying, $250,000 at least to get in there quick and smack one. What about you, Roberto? How much do I have to pay you to climb into a hippo enclosure and touch the hippo? Nothing. I wouldn't do that. I was just there <laughs> yeah. two weeks ago. And I, that was the furthest thing from my mind. You were there. So is this crazy to you that somebody would climb into the enclosure? I can't believe yeah, this is I was, even I was possible. just there two weeks ago on a Sunday, and I was like, 
furthest thing from my mind. When I saw the video, I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's an idiot. We had the Harambe situation, right, where the kid got into the gorilla enclosure and they had to kill Harambe. I think that was in Cincinnati. Yeah. I can't believe that you can even climb into enclosures for highly dangerous animals still. I can't believe that's even possible. That Leaving aside the fact that the guy is an idiot who climbs in and touches the hippo, I can't believe you can do that. Yeah, it's not that hard. Really, this enclosure is not. Well, because I think when they designed these zoos years ago, they were not thinking people would be stupid enough to try <laughs> yeah, to get that true. close to dangerous animals. It's unbelievable to me. Um, so what about you, Eddie Garcia? How much money to climb into the L.A. Zoo and touch the hippo? Uh, I saw a video of a hippo biting a crocodile in half because, yes. he, was, he, because he was annoyed with the yes. crocodile. So there's no amount of money I'm getting into slap a hippo on the ass. This is like the most territorial animal, they say, in terms of danger in the entire world. Like the hippo kills more people because they not to eat, right? Because I think the hippo is basically a vegetarian. Correct. The, the hippo is just angry when people come in its area. This is one of the all-time stupid moves. I also, by the way, so we got the hippo story. Uh, we also have this story, which a bunch of you tweeted to me and I thought was amazing. Uh, in Oklahoma City, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City police say a wild bull escaped from the stockyards overnight. They later found out that it was a bull from a zoo, I think. I mean, sorry, from a, uh, a, a circus or something. I don't know. Anyway, a wild bull was loose. It chased several people downtown. One person even jumped in the river to avoid it. <laughs> Wild, you talk about just rough, rough luck. We talked about the mountain lion getting in the house in Colorado. Can you imagine walking through Oklahoma City? Next thing you know, there are bulls. Uh, there's a wild bull chasing you, and you have to dive into a river uh, to escape it. We need the, the the video, by the way of the guy who dove into the river to escape the wild bull. That's tough luck. Like one one minute you think you're just walking to work, the next and you're like, "Man, this is tough. It's going to be a rough day at work." Next minute there is a wild bull pursuing you in the streets of Oklahoma City and you have to dive into the river it, uh there in the city. It makes you wonder about the thousands of people who go to the running of the bulls every year. Oh, Cuz they're they're going they're running towards it to do it on purpose. Yeah, I have a buddy. I'm trying to remember who was saying they were going to do it. Uh they're going to Pamplona to run with the bulls and I just can't think of anything more insane. Now watching the running of the bulls, you know, like from outside of the enclosure can make a lot of sense but running yeah. along with the horns and everything and the fact that no. you could get trampled or or, or gored uh no thank you that's like, one of those deaths on the short list clay where if you died that way god would just chuckle i, I say like my general rule in life is don't be a pussy willow right dbap the other aspect of this though is sometimes be a pussy willow sbap you got to know when it's smart to be a pussy willow and when there are bulls chasing you I think it's smart to dive in the river. Not going to run with him. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. We bring in Brett McMurphy now. He's now with Stadium Sports. Congratulations on the new gig. He broke the story about Urban Meyer. Um, and, Brett, we spent a lot of time on the show this morning talking about all of the issues that have surrounded the Big Ten, and particularly the Big Ten East. But Indiana, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, Illinois, Rutgers, Minnesota, Maryland have all had major issues off the field. Uh, and the question that I put up is, is this a coincidence? Is this a reflection of college sports in general? 
with all that's going on in the Big Ten, do you see it as symptomatic of an issue in the Big Ten, larger culture? How would you assess this? And is it even a fair question to ask? I don't believe they're I don't believe they're related in any way. I think it's probably more a coincidence, but it is funny how those how it happens to conferences. As you know, before Mike Slide came on board in the SEC, I think the entire conference was on some kind of NCA probation or notification or something at that time, and his goal was to to get every every school off probation. So I don't necessarily think it's you know one school does something to the other school feels the need recruiting wise to do something illegal. Also, I I just think it's a coincidence. I think it's more of the times we're in now and that, you know, kind of the way coaches went about training, uh, you know, treating student athletes, you know, 40 years is, is drastically different than it is now. I'd say it's drastically different than 10 years ago. And some things maybe that coaches did 10 years ago that weren't viewed as, as, you know, not being good or being positive or whatever is now frowned upon. So I just think this constantly changes. And, um, you know, I don't want to go down the Will Muschamp rabbit hole, but, you know, obviously you had a, a tragedy with the, with the young man dying. But I, I will agree with part of Muschamp said is that you can find a disgruntled player at any program in the country. And they can say, you know, things are horrible here, these certain things happened, and people may look at it differently. I mean, you know, you could find – People at Alabama that don't don't like the way Nick Saban does things, and I'm sure there are people that, or excuse me, I'm sure those are student athletes that aren't that never see the field. So um, I think it's more just the time we're in now, and with with social media and everything else, there's no secrets. Ultimately, all this stuff gets out, and then you have these reactions, and coaches get fired for various things. And I think it's I don't think it's going to change. I just think more of this stuff's going to happen the further we go. We're talking to Brett McMurphy. You can follow him on Twitter at Brett underscore McMurphy on Twitter. The DUI arrest for Zach Smith, the former wide receivers coach at uh, Ohio State, uh, he says Urban Meyer didn't know about it. Do you believe Zach Smith? Do you think this factors in at all with the investigation into what Urban Meyer knew and also Zach Smith and what's going on at Ohio State? Well, actually... I think it's irrelevant right now if Urban Meyer knew or not. Because let's look at this. If Urban Meyer didn't know about it, then that what does that say about Urban Meyer and his program? That he doesn't know that his the only assistant coach that's been with him since 2012 until he was fired got a DUI. Um, on top of that, you've got a, a coach who's your recruiting coordinator who's I don't know the Ohio law, but I, I'm guessing that when you get a DUI, your license is suspended, and at least until the charges were reduced, which I think was a two-month period. So now you've got a recruiting coordinator driving with this. I'm, again, I'm guessing with a suspended license. I had, a, I had college football head coach text me yesterday and said, wow, I'm learning so much about what not to do. He goes, I spoke to our staff about if you ever are arrested, you cannot be driving with a suspended license because then if you're in an accident, then it's an NCA issue and all those things. So if he didn't know about it, it doesn't look good on Urban because then it's like, what exactly are you doing when you know every single thing about your players? Anytime they're arrested, if they get a, a C in a class, you know about it. 
but now you don't know about a DUI. On the flip side, if you did know about it and you didn't do anything about it, look, I'm not saying because he got he was arrested for DUI that he should be fired immediately. However, I am saying if you did know about the DUI and you know in 09 he was arrested for for assault of his wife, and then in 13 he gets a DUI, and then in 15 he's accused of domestic violence again, and you don't get rid of him in 15, what in the world's going on here? So either way, I don't know if Urban knew or not, but either way, I don't think it looks good for Urban. What do you think Ohio State fans would be saying if everything that has been done or alleged against Urban Meyer was done or alleged against Jim Harbaugh instead? That's the exact thing that I try to tell the Ohio State fans that I respond to either by email or via email or Twitter, Facebook, the ones, the 5% that don't call me MFs and ask me to have sex with myself and very creative, (laughs) is take yourself out of this. And I do this with with every fan base. Anytime, you know, there's an uproar or or people are like, why did you report this or whatever? Like, look, you're only reacting this way because it's your school. Take yourself out of the equation. Put Jim Harbaugh in Michigan in there, and then tell me what you think of the reports. You know, if you have a problem with the reports, then then let's talk. You know, and again, I think I I mentioned this to you last week. Everything that I've reported, a hundred percent of it is is documentation, quotes, texts, emails, etc. There's no anonymous sources in this. So if people are upset. You know, these are just the facts that are out there, and I'm just putting them out there, and people can decide if Ohio State did the right thing or not. Again, it all goes back to everything I reported Ohio State knew about. Somebody at Ohio State knew about what I was reporting. Maybe not knew about everything. Maybe different people knew about different aspects of it. Ohio State knew about everything about this. Zach Smith's the same guy. In 2018, he was in 2013, in 2015, and 2009. The only reason Zach Smith got fired is because this all went public. So what does that say about Ohio State? I don't have the answer to that, and I won't know until they complete the investigation and we hear what they have to say. Talking to Brett McMurphy, you, you mentioned the response. You've been writing and talking about college athletics for a very long time. Have you ever gotten the venom, the vitriol, for any story that you've ever been involved in compared to this Ohio State Urban Meyer story? Close. But I haven't reported anything on this level. So that's probably why. I mean, you get you get the occasional fan who puts something out, you know, responds, and, and you know, that happens. That's, hey, it's college football. That comes with the job. But to this level, it's, it's just, it's, no, I've never, never experienced anything like that. Um, it, it's embarrassing in a way. Uh, there is a small minority of fans that are, that are Ohio State fans that reach out and say, look, I, I you know, I see that some of the comments, that's not, you know, that's the minority of Ohio State fans. Or, we're, we're not like that. The problem is that's the majority, that's 90% of the, response and feedback i'm receiving you know i other things have happened which i'll share after this is all over 
Um, but it, yeah, it's never experienced anything like it. Um, and, and it's kind of, it's kind of, it's not comical. It's sad in a way that you see these people that have the, you know, their Facebook, you know, avatar photos and they're with their three kids and their wife and they get this great family photo. And then the message is something that you'd hear, you know, Andrew Dice Clay spit out, you know, <laughs> you know, or in a, you know, a comedy roast or something and you're like okay that's 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 pretty mature of you you know i'm, I'm sure you know you you want people to publicly see how you're mf and me 15 different ways because i reported that your coach lied about something that he did admit to lying about it is kind of fascinating and an interesting window into modern social media modern athletics i suspect that conversations like these before have happened but social media makes you accessible in a way that a reporter wouldn't have been accessible in 1995 or 1985 or certainly 1975, maybe even 2010. You know, I mean, it's crazy. Um, have you had to report any threats like against your life or against your family's life from Ohio State fans? Uh, I haven't read all the messages, so I haven't specifically found any threats but to be honest i can look at the first two words of the messages and decide whether i want to read it or not because <laughs> I, I don't want to read all that um i did i did contact the police about something uh, nothing happened um but again it's I, I it is social media and obviously it's you know 70 in 1975 or whatever the other thing is it's even though they're they they're anonymous in a way, I mean, they're not anonymous when you see their names, their emails, and you look it up and you're like, oh, this is where you work. I wonder if your employer knows that you're doing this. Um, so it isn't anonymous, but it is. Um, I, in the, I've realized in the past when I've reported other stories and someone will come at me, and again, as long as, as they're not MF and me, I'll, I'll be happy to respond. I'll even respond to those people. It's, I literally don't have the time to respond to everybody or I would be doing this for 72 hours straight. So I haven't been able to respond but to a small minority people that respond. But even the ones that have issues, a lot of times, and I don't know if you've, you have found this, if you respond to the person and answer their question or explain specifically what their beef is, probably 75% of the time they respond back and say, say oh, yeah, you're right, I was just – you know, I was kidding or I was, you know, I didn't mean that when I told you to go F yourself, you know, and, it, and it's weird because I don't think a lot of them expect you to respond. And so when you do, they kind of like, I don't know if back down is the right word, but it's, it's almost they realize like, wow, I'm actually all this stuff that I'm telling to is there's a human being on the other side of it. And that's that's the thing that's I don't know, fascinating is the wrong word, but it's just I just. It's like they they send these emails and messages to like they're like well this isn't a, I hope they think it's not a human being but then when they the person actually responds a lot of times they back off like one specific person emailed me and said why you know oh so Urban Meyer is a monster because he he helped out uh, Courtney and, and Zach Smith in 2009 and so now he should be fired because you know. He lied at a press conference, and I replied and I said, "I've never reported that he was a monster. I never said he was a monster. All I reported was that he knew about what happened in '15, and he lied about it." And the person responds and says, "says 
Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Gives me a happy face and a thumbs up. You know, keep up the great work. You know, I was just kidding. I was just kidding that you called him a monster. Well, that's, you know, that's basically in a nutshell what a lot of people are doing. You know, it's, it is. Just, it's, it's crazy, though, the amount of stuff I'm getting. It is it is amazing um, the degree to which social media and email to a certain extent and certainly uh, Facebook and Twitter and, and everything kind of associated with there, we are tossing out thousands of years of human history, which is mostly predicated on face-to-face interaction, or at least for everybody who's listening to me right now, as you drive into work, you at least hear my voice. We have open phone lines. You can call in and share whatever opinion you may have. And that is based on like a human interaction face to face in some way, um, at least voice to voice. And then these emails and these statements and everything else. Do you have time to come back with us for a couple more minutes? Because I want to ask you what you think, what the latest is and everything else. Do you have a couple more minutes? Yeah, sure. Clay. We're joined by Brett McMurphy. He broke the story about Urban Meyer, Ohio State, and uh, their former wide receivers coach, Zach Smith. And uh I know Courtney Smith's attorney put out that she had spoken with these investigators. I believe Zach Smith's attorney has said that he did so as well. When do you expect this uh, this investigation to uh, to conclude, Brett? And what are you hearing about it, if anything? Well, they they gave us a two week timeline, so that would be Sunday. So do they do they want to release the findings of this investigation, or are there? ultimate decision on a Sunday. I don't know if they would or not. I think if it's completed, a Friday would make more sense. You you know, usually no matter what the news is, they would probably want it to be on a Friday. Um, you know, certainly, certainly don't want to do it on a Monday morning. You so have- I would think somewhere between Friday and Sunday, but that's just, that's just a guess. I've not heard anything that definitive on that. You have, uh, I'm sure, talked to a lot of college football coaches, as have I, as this story has continued to uh, to play out. What has been their overall reaction here? I think you said earlier that, that some of them are using this as an instructive, teachable moment. How many of them do you think are kind of stunned, based on your conversation, that Ohio State would have a guy like Zach Smith on staff for as long as they did with the domestic violence allegations and now the DUI in his background? Yeah, I mean, pretty. You know, I've talked to dozens of coaches and ads that have reached out. You know, they've they've, you know, they've been supportive of me. They said they appreciate, you know, the way that I've I've gone about this whole thing. And the thing that jumps out to them, and I, in no way am I comparing this to Baylor because it's totally different. But the Baylor thing was you you had a, a, a multiple players involved. Um, you know. So it was a a larger thing, and and so, but the, I guess the reason I'm making a comparison is this is showing all of these other coaches that all of this stuff can damage a program because of one assistant coach, and that I think is what's really shocked them. And a lot of coaches have literally said after some of my initial reports, they actually went into a staff meeting and everybody got out their contract and they read it word for word to see exactly what they're responsible for as far as notifying Title IX, as far as notifying their supervisor, as far as any, um, if they have any hint of domestic violence issues or other issues. And I've had multiple coaches tell me that. 
said, hey, we, you know, you screwed up our meeting today. We're good. Everyone's going over their contracts because it's, it's showing that the mishandling of one person can impact a head coach and or an entire staff. I had a, a Power 5 conference head basketball coach reach out to me. He said, hey, when this thing's all done, he goes, I, I'd love to, for you to come visit us. I want to spend three or four hours with you. I want to know everything about this story. He doesn't want to know the specifics of the story, he told me. He said he wants to know how he can make sure something like this never happens at his school. What missteps did Ohio State take? What could have been done differently? That's the kind of questions and, and feedback I'm getting from ADs and coaches as that they're looking at this, that this whole thing has come about because of the handling or mishandling of one assistant coach. And that, quite frankly, has scared a lot of these people. We got time for one more question, I think, so I'm going to hit you with this one. How unbelievable did you find it that how you got this story, your sourcing, that Texas ends up having to issue a statement and everything else, that the focus focal point of the story had moved really quickly to who talked to Brett McMurphy as opposed to what you actually reported? Well, it's the classic misdirection. If you don't like what they're talking about, talk about something different. The comical thing is they're asking who my source is or who, you know, who tipped me off. Everything I've reported has been direct quotes. There's no anonymous sources in my story. So whether I found out from Clay Travis or from, you know, from someone else, it's really irrelative. It, it really doesn't matter, um, you know. But, again, the person that's reporting that has written books on Ohio State, and he's, you know, wanting to write, continue to write positive things about Ohio State. So, you know, I guess that's his motive. I don't know. He, he never reached out to me once and said, is this your source? Um, I denied who he said my source was. It's messy indeed. Uh, Thanks to Brett McMurphy. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.